Wake up! Aaron, wake up! What the- Aaron! What are you doing? Why are you wearing a cactus? Aaron, it is Tuesday night. Yeah, so? Well, we release a new episode tomorrow. So? We haven't made the episode! Oh, shit! Shit, shit, shit! Let's get to the history lab right now! Yeah! Who's interesting enough to do an episode on? Well, uh, we haven't done a Hitler episode yet. Ah, we can't do Hitler, James! That would require such intense work and way more time than we have right now! Yeah, alright, just just make it up! Make it up? Yeah, j just say things like, uh, um, he wore pants made out of balloons, oh. or, uh, he had a pet mongoose named Snebby, I don't care! No one is going to believe that! Like, yeah, do you have a better plan? Yeah, let's just kill ourselves right now! This is so stupid! We are so dumb! How long do we have until release? Uh, less than two hours. Oh my fucking god, we're dead! We're dead! Our fans will abandon us! Our dream will fail just like everything else! It's the end, I tell you! The end! The end! Who could that be? Uh, it's probably Sith Psychopath calling about something morally reprehensible again. Just don't answer it. Hello? James, it's Bryce! If we play our cards right, we can get it to do a whole episode for us! Oh, sick! That guy's such a history geek, he'll talk forever if we let him. Just hurry up and introduce him! Uh, okay. Oh, okay, everyone, we have our very first fellow podcaster here on the show today. He is an esteemed member of the podcasting community, whatever that means, I just made it up, and an all-around kind of chill kind of dude. Bryce, why don't you tell us about yourself? Go! I'm Bryce Blankenagel. I do the Naked Mormonism podcast. I, you know, was born and raised in the Utah church. My Brighamite LDS religion, Mormonism, that's a very specific sect of Mormonism. There are hundreds out there. And, uh, you know, after I left the church, a few years after, I started studying the history and found it so interesting and compelling and looked for podcasts about Mormon history and couldn't find one, so I decided to make the perfect Mormon history podcast. And here I am a few years later, and I do it full-time. Wow. that You do it full-time? That is so awesome. That's our dream, to, to be perfectly honest. Um, I have incredibly generous listeners, so thank you, listeners. Yeah, We'll say thank you again to our two patrons. Uh, the two Adams. Um, so, okay, I guess the next question I have um, is, like, so you you made this history podcast and and I want I want to know like who you made it for. Did you make it um, for Mormons, for ex Mormons, non Mormons? What's your core audience? Just my myself. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Like it sounds extremely selfish to make a podcast for yourself, but that's why I did it in the first place. That's why I do it now is because uh, and, and really you can chart a progression in the early episodes as I was learning all this stuff of Mormon history that I never knew when I grew up and all these inf this uh, little tidbits of information that had been actively hidden from me as a member. I was mad. I was ranting and screaming, you know, very, very frustrated at everything. And then as it progresses, I start to get I, I begin to gain an intellectual appreciation for Mormon history so much more. And that's where it kind of, uh, the, the tone of the podcast shifts from being an angry ex-Mormon ranting about the hidden history of the church to being 
somebody who is deeply researching this subject because it's such a rich and a fascinating history. And, you know, I'm, I started making it for myself, I told you, because I was looking for a Mormon history podcast and couldn't find one that I was that, you know, satiated my thirst for the chronological history of Mormonism. So I just made it for myself. And it was it's been an incredibly cathartic experience. And I still do it for myself because it's so much fun. I'm just flattered that people find it interesting and entertaining and very appreciative that they do. Um, you were telling us on Twitter about a guy named Sidney Rigdon. Sidney Rigdon. This That's the man. Uh, yes. He is, um, <laughs> you know, I recently gave a presentation at a Mormon history conference at Sunstone Symposium, it's called. Uh, and the the title of my talk was Sidney Rigdon, the Forgotten Hero of Mormonism. <laughs> because, uh, it, you know, I, I, in my show, in this, you know, historians will balk at hearing this, but I give prominent characters in Mormon history their own nicknames <laughs> because it's so much easier to remember them, right? Yeah. If you are listening to a chronological timeline and you hear the names of Sidney Rigdon, Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, William Mines Phelps, and uh, Heber C. Kimball and Brigham Young and Joseph Smith, and you hear all of those names thrown together in one mix, it's hard to determine <laughs> who is who and what you know what they're well known for. But if you give them each their own unique names that plays off of a trait that's prominent, it's like, oh, I can construct a visual model of who this person is in my mind. And then I see this person with their nickname and their personality actually traversing these these profound events that are happening in Mormon history. Well, I've given Sidney Rigdon the nickname of Hingepin Sidney Rigdon <laughs> because it was upon him that the church hinged everything in early Mormonism relied on Sidney Rigdon in order to survive. So Sidney Rigdon was actually, uh, he was born in 1793 in, uh, in uh, Pittsburgh, or near Pittsburgh, sorry. And he began training very early in his life as a preacher, basically. His favorite book was the Bible. Oh! And he, I know, right? <laughs> Good who choice. would have thunk? In you know, Protestant 19th century America, people were fans of the Bible. It's it was the only weird. book available. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? It was a bestseller everywhere. Uh, so he was uh, he was actually a, a, a bookworm at a very young age. I mean, th there's an account from his younger brother who would say that he would stay up all night uh, reading by the firelight and his parents would wake up to find him crashed out with his head buried in a book oh. in the, you know, the next morning because he just, he, his parents wouldn't give him candles to read by the firelight because it was too much money, right? Right. Yeah. So... He was, uh, yeah, he was an incredibly smart kid. However, he had a an older brother who had some kind of disability. It's not exactly clear what the the details are on that. So his older brother was sent to uh, school while Sidney Rigdon was forced to stay at home and work on the farm hmm. in lieu of his older brother. Right. Right. So Sidney Rigdon kind of always resented his childhood at this time. And also something to note is at the age of about nine years old, possibly. Sidney Rigdon had an accident. Oh. He was riding on a horse and he fell off of the horse and caught his leg in the stirrup and the horse took off running across a field oh, oh. with Sidney Rigdon. Uh, yes, yes, yes. This will come into play later. I promise. Oh, uh, so Sidney Rigdon was being dragged for, you know, a quarter mile or however long by this horse with his head banging against the rocks on the ground and he oh. suffered traumatic brain injury from it. <laughs> oh my right? God. When he was nine? Uh, yeah, about that age, oh, yeah. Wow. Somewhere oh around there. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> so f- from that time forward, uh, his his uh, younger brother who told about, sorry, his older brother who left the account of this incident said that his mental faculties weren't changed, but he was forever deranged in some way, mm. which manifested itself in his later years as hearing voices and going into convulsion, convulsive episodes and fainting or um, having these very weird kind of situations and uh, his son later you know after Sidney Renan's death he said that his dad went uh, completely mad trying to uh, discern what the voices in his head meant well so <laughs> I gotta I gotta ask here I, I you said he was the the what the linchpin of Mormonism or or I'm the sorry hinge yeah pin? hinge pin yeah I'm sorry. everything hinge hinged pin. on Rigdon okay yeah. <laughs> uh, so Mike I'm, I'm just kind of wondering how this this damaged person is going to, well, what they're going to do. And it's unpredictable, because who's the guy we did? John DuPont? Like, mm, yeah. if you listen to that episode, that guy had an accident with a horse, too, and it did, didn't help. Well, it affected another head, you might say. <laughs> uh, it's not fun to read. <laughs> uh, not safe for work episode, everybody. No, oh, no, definitely yeah. not. <laughs> All right, go on, Bryce, sorry. No, 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 it's very important because this this kind of sets the mental sphere for this type of person who was uh, beginning to plug himself into these religious revivals. And uh, Protestantism in early America was viciously firebrand in some locations, right? Mm -hmm. And you can chart through the development of Protestantism in America and the the uprising of all of the these groups of Anabaptists and of the 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 Catholic immigrants coming over from Europe and you can see where a lot of people were having these public debates of theological disagreements and a lot of this uh, came at the head of Alexander and Thomas Campbell and or these these two people it's a father-son duo they came over from Ireland in the mid-1790s, and they basically created the Campbellite Baptist religion here in America. Hmm. And at this time, Alexander Campbell, who was, you know, a firebrand in his 20s and, and 30s, he was born in 1788, I believe it was, he was just running the preaching circuit and preaching at local churches and also publicly debating anybody who would cross his, you know, fire a shot across his bow. He was known as a fantastic orator. Well, Alexander Campbell ended up becoming Sidney Rigdon's mentor oh, throughout the wow. the uh, the late 1810s and into the early 1820s. Well, Sidney Rigdon and Alexander Campbell had some disagreements, primarily on communalism and on the methods of baptism by immersion um, and, and possibly for uh, baptism of dead people, basically necromancy, right? <laughs> oh, okay. You know, I saw, so, I saw something about, what was it? They, did they okay is this a myth or did they baptize hitler posthumously yeah that that's happened that they, happened. They've, oh, no. they've yeah they the mormons have baptized attila the hun they've uh they've <laughs> baptized basically every uh demagogue and tyrant of that is known or prominently understood uh they've baptized holocaust victims which the jewish community spoke out and actually sued them for oh god uh yeah they've overstepped some boundaries yeah <laughs> when it comes to who they've <laughs> baptized posthumously have you seen that twitter um hitler in heaven <laughs> it's just it's just Hitler tweeting about how great it is to be here. <laughs> like so happy. Thank you Mormons. 
<laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> no, actually, uh, even Donald Trump's parents were baptized. Fred Christ Trump and uh, I forget the name of his mom, but they were baptized recently. Oh, really? Posthumously. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, totally. We're going to do them uh, on the he, show soon, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that's an endless well of fun there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ooh, <laughs> history is really fun when we get into, you know, tap into modern stuff. Uh, <laughs> well, anyway, it's all anyway. modern if we're being honest. I mean, it affects us in every way, as we like to pontificate yeah. about on the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So, um... Back to the 19th century here. Um, Sidney Rigdon and Alexander Campbell had this break in, I believe it was either 1823 or 1826. I, I tend to get the dates mixed up here in the 1820s. They had a massively public debate, and it was widely known that Sidney Rigdon was crushed because Alexander Campbell had been practicing debating for years prior to taking on Sidney Rigdon as his mentee. And basically, that was the cutting of ties between these pe- these two men who had been very friendly prior to this point. Yeah. So basically, Alexander Campbell didn't think that communalism was accepted, whereas uh, Sidney Rigdon thought that uh, Jesus was preaching communalism, um, and that was one of the central points that they had a disagreements. So now, hold on, eight- hold up, Bryce. I gotta ask you just to explain yeah. to our listeners what communalism is, in case they don't know. Yeah, this is uh, something. That's replete throughout the Book of Mormon, um, which is the foundational text of Mormonism. Basically, it says that everybody holds all property in common. Um, so it's 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 essentially communism before Karl Marx was alive. How exciting! God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Those bastards have been in America longer than we ever thought. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry to stop you there, Bryce. Just wanted to wanted to make sure I knew what you were talking about. Well, yeah, and it's it's a really an important point because, uh, as I said, this is found out replete throughout the Book of Mormon, and the Mormons tried to practice this throughout their history in you know small groups, which led to the Mormons being chased from Missouri, which I know you guys are familiar with uh, when you covered mm-hmm. Brigham Young and him handling the exodus from Illinois or from Missouri to Illinois of all the Mormons, while at that same time Joseph Smith was actually in prison in Li- Li- Liberty Jail in Missouri. Right. Um, so the, the Mormons tried to practice it. Unfortunately, when you uh, preach communalism, as we saw with the um, the Munster Rebellion, you tend to gather not the richest folk to, folk in town, but all of the poor people, and then there's just not enough supplies and resources to go around. Well, the Mormons solved that power vacuum or that resource vacuum by actually. Um, let's say appropriating the property of the Gentiles in Missouri for themselves, which uh, uh, that led to... We fail as old as We've heard that a few times. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I man. mean, this, this happens all the time, right? You don't have enough resources. Yeah. Your population is starving. You just go take it from other people that have enough, right? Um, and which that, in response to that, that would actually uh, cause the Hans Mill Massacre, which caused the Mormons to uh, be removed from Missouri uh, after the Mormon extermination order, right? So all these things kind of interplay yeah. with each other. So um, all that said, um, let's rewind back to the 1820s with Sidney Rigdon. In uh, the mid eight, about 1825-26, after his break with Alexander Campbell, he began to uh, make the rounds on the preaching circuit, preaching his own version of Baptist theology. And that's where he started to get his oration chops really honed in and um, specified down to exactly the theology that he wanted to preach. 
1827 rolls around, Joseph Smith claims to unearth the gold plates, which is an ancient record of the Nephites and Lamanites here, which explains the uh, the the existence of the Native Americans and them being... Right. Yeah. <laughs> whole other rabbit hole. Yes. We won't dive down it at the moment. We're just focusing on Sidney Rigdon. Right. So, <laughs> as the story goes, Sidney Rigdon is building up his, uh, his congregations in the Ohio and Pennsylvania area, and he eventually has a few hundred followers that are basically Rigdonites. We call them the Rigdonites. Okay. 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 So... He gets a hold of the copy of the Book of Mormon in mid-1830, and he says, this is the most amazing, remarkable book. I need to meet the person who <laughs> wrote this book, okay? Hey, hey, okay. So you know about the My Book of Mormon podcast, right? Of course you do. I, uh, I'm a co-host on it, oh, yes. That's, you, are you really? I haven't listened to yeah, it. Uh, since. Wow. It, yeah, uh, when it shifted to the Doctrine and Covenants, that's when I came on because that's of the Doctrine right, and I Covenants. Remember. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, yeah. James here knows that I had a period where I couldn't sleep, so I would put on early books of the Book of Mormon <laughs> and fall asleep. And have David Michael's buttery voice <laughs> exactly. lull you into sleep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I no, got gotcha. you. I mean, I got to say, though, Price, I, I am one, I'm ashamed I forgot you were on there. But the other thing is, great and podcast. Hard okay. Uh, <laughs> the other thing is, uh, for those of you who are interested, there is a recording of some guy who's not a Mormon reading the entire Book of Mormon front to back, and the podcast has developed a little bit more since he finished. Um, still good content. Shame I don't listen anymore. But um, <laughs> no, like if you want to, if you want to know about this book, go read it. Go listen to the podcast because one, it's an excellent way to to, I guess, get a better understanding of people who may think differently than you. The best way to do that is to read the stuff they're reading, sort of like we told you to do with Francis Schaeffer. Um, yeah, yeah absolutely. I think it's useful. So, Yeah, however, if you want to know about Mormonism, that's where you go over to Naked Mormonism, because <laughs> you, you, you don't learn anything about Mormon theology from the Book of Mormon. Huh. It's weird, because really? everything that Mormons believe now developed after the Book of Mormon was published. Oh, so That's right. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, uh, you, yeah. You need to read through the Doctrine and Covenants, which is what my co-host and I are reading through um, in these, these later sections. Uh, so there's like the Book of Mormon chunk, and then there's the Pearl of Great Price, or the Pricey Pearl, as it's called, which is just hilarious. That's like the way out there, batshit crazy theology of Mormonism. I um, have read that one too. <laughs> it's crazy. That's where Kolob comes in. That's it. where you know a lot of really wacky shit comes in. And a little fun fact: that was supposedly translated from ancient Egyptian papyri that Joseph Smith purchased from a guy. Um, oh, yeah, of yeah. Course. He, I mean, that's what happens. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he used his magic rock. He translated it from the you know it was actually written by Abraham himself. If you guys didn't know that, the papyri are really you know important. Um, and and then the the actual doctrine and covenants. That's where it gets into the later revelations that actually progress as the church is growing from its infancy up through the the rest of the Joseph Smith's fourteen year career. And then after that, it goes on to the 26 volumes of the Journal of Discourses and so on and so forth. But no, no, no. We're, we're still in the uh, the Doctrine and Covenants in my Book of Mormon. Huge sidetrack. Anyway, back Sorry, to the, the, the timeline. <laughs> no, it's it's all relevant information. Um, and, and unfortunately, it's not quite as fun as reading through the Book of Mormon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's iconic. So Sidney Rigdon gets a hold of this Book of Mormon in 1830. He says, I need to go meet Joseph Smith. So he does. They meet. And Sidney Rigdon and Joseph Smith 
end up coming back to Ohio. Joseph Smith gives this revelation that all of the members of the church, which is like 70, 80, maybe 100 people in New York, that all of them need to sell everything they have and move to Ohio because that's where the headquarters of the church is moving. So Joseph Smith gets to Ohio in uh, Kirtland, it's known, Kirtland, Ohio, in 1831, about uh, February, March 1831. And that's when Sidney Rigdon basically converts all of his Rigdonites to Mormonism. All of them. So in this two-month period, Mormonism goes from, you know, 80 to 100 people to about 400 people. Wow. Yikes. That's fun. (laughs) So if not for that, Mormonism was undergoing a heavy dosage of persecution in New York. If not for Sidney Rigdon coming in and basically extracting Joseph from this cancerous world in New York where he was being constantly what he calls persecuted, but he was actually being arrested and on previous charges of actually committing fraud against people. Uh, That doesn't seem to matter. It's religious persecution. (laughs) God damn it. So... Sidney Rigdon basically put this adrenaline shot into the arm of Mormonism in early 1831, and he basically turned it from a wacky little cult into a religious movement. Wow. (laughs) I don't even know what to say. That's that's amazing. And you make a good case, I think, for saying that he's the one who made it blow up the way it did. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There are also proponents of the Rigdon-Joseph Book of Mormon authorship theory where they claim that Sidney Rigdon and Joseph Smith colluded prior to the Book of Mormon being published, and it was actually Sidney Rigdon who wrote the majority of the Book of Mormon. Wow. Oh, that's interesting. And then it gave it to Joseph Smith to be published under Joseph Smith's name, and then miraculously he reads this book, and it's just it speaks to his heart so much that he has this overnight conversion and then Joseph Smith and him basically start the Mormon religion together. There's <laughs> yeah. there's a lot wrapped up into it. It's there's a lot of historical conjecture. There are you know basically the two competing camps. There's the sole authorship camp who says that Joseph Smith wrote it himself, and then there's the Spalding camp who say that Joseph uh, that Sidney Rigdon stole a manuscript from an old man named Solomon Spalding, who had perished back in 1816. Huh. And that's what he uh, wrote over and appropriated for the Book of Mormon. He gave that to Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith, Sidney Rigdon, Oliver Cowdery, uh, William Wines Phelps all colluded together and founded the Mormon religion, and it is perpetuated ever since. So, all of that said... Mormonism evolves in Kirtland, Ohio, and Missouri in through the mid-1830s. Then Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon, in order to answer the tens of thousands of dollars of debt that they are mired in, they start what is known as the Kirtland Safety Society Anti-Banking Company. Mm, okay. And wait, what is it? Is it actually a bank banking banking company? <laughs> is it wait? <laughs> At this time in the <laughs> in the 1830s. There were uh, hundreds of these banks that were basically taking in actual government specie, Mm -hmm. you know, actual dollars, and converting it into their own proprietary banknotes. It was the Bitcoin of their day. Oh, I heard about that. I just didn't ring a bell. So they they call they created what were known as these banking companies, uh, but they they were actually government charted banks. Hmm. Well, Sidney Rigdon and Joseph Smith applied to become one of these banks in 1836, and the state of Ohio uh, denied their charter as a bank. So instead, what they did because they had already ordered the plates for printing the the banking company notes, they. <laughs> 
they basically carved into the the uh, plates for printing anti and ing before and after bank. So it turned from the Kirtland Safety Society Bank Company to the Kirtland Safety Society Anti-Banking Company. Brilliant. <laughs> Smart. They proceeded to take yes, no, it's 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 making lemonade, right? Right. So they proceeded to convert thousands of dollars of actual money from the Saints into Kirtland Safety Society banknotes. Hmm. 1836 comes along, or the end of 1836 comes along as this banking company is starting, or anti-banking company <laughs> is starting to flourish, gain a lot of uh, support and investors. Um, they, there's actually this story that may be apocryphal, but uh, there's a story that exists that um, somebody accused Joseph of uh, basically being fraud, uh, fraudulent in the, the company, and they took him down to the basement of where the headquarters were, and they showed him barrels that had a bunch of gold coins up on top but these barrels were were actually filled with beans up to the brim and then just gold coins put on top just to make it look like they had the gold to back it up well that's what right? i do i yeah. stuff my wallet with toilet paper just to make it look fatter don't you do that i, mean, I put gold <laughs> coins in my burritos it's a great place to hide them i mean same thing the same thing yeah. beans i mean yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you might unwrap one of these and eat the chocolate in the middle, and yeah, it's the same thing. So there's a bit of anti-banking so, in all of this. <laughs> Don't feed your gold to dogs, it'll kill them. Uh, so these, th this company uh, was, was starting to gain traction. Andrew Jackson signs his species circular right before leaving office in 1837, mm. which basically said that the United States government would no longer take these proprietary banknotes for tax income. So hmm. that basically popped the bubble that had been created by all these hundreds of banking companies, and it created the Panic of 1837. Oh. And huh. a lot of Mormons were really fucking angry at Joseph Smith <laughs> and Sidney Rigdon yeah. for buying into this speculation, and they chased them out of Kirtland, oh, yes. <laughs> and they fled to Missouri. Wow. Yeah. Right? So Sidney Rickton and Joseph Smith are basically co-conspirators in all of this. They are the two leaders of the Mormon church. That's the best thing I've heard all day. That is so fantastic. I can't even, it's like they need to make a buddy cop movie or something. We're like, or, or, or like a Ocean's Eleven or yes. something, but with like all Mormons or whatever. <laughs> Ocean's Eleven, you got Joseph's High Council. It's like Joseph's 12 is what it is. Yes. <laughs> So all of this comes to a head. The Mormons are bitter poor, 1838 in Missouri. They tried to solve, as we um, announced earlier, they try to solve all of the problems of the Mormon church's debts by, um, quote unquote, appropriating the Gentiles' property in Missouri. Ah, right. And <laughs> all of this, uh, Sidney Brigden was known as the most powerful orator in the Mormon religion. He shaped the theology of the Mormon religion. He and Joseph Smith would have these late night seance sessions where they would imbibe in um, what, what they called anointed sacrament, um, which I... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I got the giggles over here. This is ridiculous. And oh, see, that's what I call it when I take a shower. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Wait, what were these things? <laughs> so this anointing, they used anointing oil in order to elicit spiritual experiences, or they partook of sacrament. 
and, or okay. the Lord's Supper, as they called it as well. And I'm actually working with a research partner uh, named Cody Nakoni, who hosts the Silly Rabbits podcast, who uh, he dives <laughs> into the history of entheogen use, which is the use of psychedelics in religious history, uh, religious oh. and spiritual history. So he and I uh, recently, uh, <laughs> he and I uh, recently gave a lecture at Sunstone Symposium back in uh, July of 2017 on what we call the Smith Entheogen Theory. And I'll send a link to you guys of the, the video that we did, but it's an hour-long lecture about Joseph Smith and the early Mormons and Sidney Rigdon using psychedelic and psychoactive substances in their sacramental wine in order to drug the early Mormons, basically. What? <laughs> Uh, no, that's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, where do I sign? <laughs> <laughs> you need your second anointing to get that today. Oh, I already no, no, got no, my I, first I, one. <laughs> I, okay, so I I have to qualify this because I this is all allegedly. I don't want to say that the current Mormon Church is using any of these substances in their modern day practices in the the uppermost echelons of the temple because this is all something that uh, we think kind of died out in the early 1900s when Joseph F. Smith kind of cleansed the practice of using uh, magic and entheogens in the Utah church because Mormons in Utah in the 1890s, they were leaving accounts of frequent peyote use and, and all kinds of stuff because they, they had contact with the Native Americans that they were slowly squashing out after Brigham Young had died. So, and, and it all happened during Brigham Young's years. Anyway, so back to the point, uh, Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon may very well have been using the psychoactive substances <laughs> in order to elicit the spiritual experiences for the Mormons, which was made manifest in all of the accounts that they left behind of people seeing angels floating around in the rafters and, and seeing uh, people thinking that the temple was on fire when it clearly wasn't. And um, these really profound experiences that happen after they partake of this sacrament. So <laughs> I question the <laughs> ethics of this. <laughs> but it's a different perspective than we have it today, right? Oh, we yeah. call it drugging people. Joseph Smith called it connecting with God. Hmm. I don't know how familiar you guys are with psychedelics, but holy shit. You... <laughs> I'm not familiar. <laughs> okay. Of course, uh, I'm a good Christian boy. <laughs> <laughs> We're high on Jesus. Tell you what, get a hold of somebody in your community. Find out, uh, have some uh, some firsthand accounts of this. Find out what it is. You know, talk to a psychedelic society. Come back. We'll have a different discussion the next time we we get on the phone we'll, here because we'll do an episode while we're just high as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but not in Illinois. Not you're right. Not, no, in not in Illinois. No, no, no. Of course not. Now come up to Oregon. It's everywhere up there. Okay. Uh, so, anyway, anyway. So there, there are people today who uh, believe that basically you are connected to God by imbibing in these these chemicals. And if you have a first person experience, it's really hard to think anything other than that because these are experiences and feelings that and chemicals that impact your mind in truly ineffable ways. You can't describe what happens when you partake of these certain substances, especially if you're in the proper set and setting and coupled with the perfect dosage. So that said, people today think that you take of mushrooms, you connect with God. 
Same thing with Joseph Smith. He was partaking of the mushrooms. He was infusing the sacramental wine with mushrooms. He was giving people the connection to God that they were seeking. It was just playing into this charismatic preacher that was Joseph Smith, right? Mm. And Cindy Rigdon is all along the way giving these powerful orations and these heartfelt, incredible speeches that are basically guiding the people through their trip. If you're going to go on a trip, it's a really good idea to have somebody there who isn't quite as high as fuck as you (laughs) that can actually channel your trip in the proper direction. We have called them shaman in the past. We've called them spiritual leaders. They're people who can basically ground you or alter your consciousness in a way that causes you to have a good trip instead of having a bad trip. Um, There's a lot baked into all of this. There's so many rabbit holes we could dive down. People, go listen to Silly Rabbit's podcast. Uh, He does a fantastic job of of talking about the history of these usage, uh, of these these chemicals impacting the human uh, history. Well, I'm so, going to listen to it, and listeners, I say try it out. Yeah. I mean, I'm not advocating for it. I haven't listened to it yet, full disclosure. But <laughs> try, try new things. Yes, <laughs> including absolutely. shrooms. And- <laughs> <laughs> I'm not officially advocating for shroom usage. <laughs> yes, this podcast does not recommend the use of illicit substances. Yes. No, no, no. <laughs> for your legal safety. <laughs> And always have a shaman. So, uh, uh, babysitters, as we call them today. Um, Okay, walking way, way back from where we went 20 minutes ago. uh, So, 1838 was a particularly harsh time for Sidney Rigdon, Joseph Smith, and the Mormons. At the end of the Missouri-Mormon War in 1838, Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon, as the heads of the Mormon religion, are locked up in Liberty Jail. To illustrate how powerful of an orator Sidney Rigdon was, in January of 1839, after they had been locked in prison for about a month and a half, two months, they had a court hearing for a writ of habeas corpus because they felt like the the state had not brought proper evidence forward to actually charge them for arson, robbery, and high treason, as the state had alleged uh, with the, the in November of 1838 hearing. So Sidney Rigdon stands up and he advocates for himself. He represents himself in this court. Joseph Smith wow. and the other four members who were locked in Liberty Jail have the have a, a powerful orator under the uh, name of Alexander Donovan, who was a lawyer and a militia general in Missouri, who was a friend of the Mormons, who was advocating for them, who was their, their lawyer. These five men, represented by Alexander Donovan, they make an amazing appeal to the the justice who had thrown them in jail in the first place for this writ of habeas corpus. They get sent back to jail. Sidney Rigdon, advocating and representing himself, is released. Whoa. Whoa. Right. That shows you the power of Sidney Rigdon. And yeah. his... His speeches are known among Mormons uh, throughout the land as the most powerful speeches. There are anti-Mormon newspaper uh, publications that say we wished to get there before Sidney Rigdon's speech because we wanted to see this powerful orator in action. Like in the the Warsaw (laughs) Signal, which was the the guy Thomas Sharp founded the Warsaw Signal, he also created what was known as the anti-Mormon political party in order to oppose how much uh, political strength the Mormon church was exerting in Illinois. 
Even he wrote in his Warsaw Signal that he went to Nauvoo just to see Sidney Rigdon's orations. That's how powerful this guy was. Wow. Huh. So, Liberty Jail unfortunately took a toll on Sidney Rigdon. He was not very healthy, mentally speaking, and at the time that he was locked in that, that jail for about two months, he basically drove everybody else insane with his <laughs> crazy ramblings, with oh. his his bouts of, you know, fits of anger that he was having, with his possibly even seizures uh, that, that he was experiencing at this time. I mean, he was wow. in really bad shape. So... Oh. He gets out in in January, possibly early February of 1839. He heads out to Illinois to try and help the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, that's where Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball come into place, organize the Mormon exodus from Missouri to Illinois and buy up land in order for the Mormons to settle there. And they do. So the rest of Joseph Smith's career with Sidney Rigdon is, um, is... a bit contentious, unfortunately. Hmm. Joseph Smith had a number of friends that were helping him out, and they saw Sidney Rigdon as a threat because he was unhinged. Joseph Smith couldn't control Sidney Rigdon. Rigdon didn't exactly conform to the wills of the High Council and the Council of Fifty. He was kind of doing his own thing. He spent a lot of his time just shut up in his house, just kind of drinking the days away because he was in such a depressive and manic episode oh oh my god (laughs) yeah and which sucks because he had been so paramount to the rise of the mormon religion through the early 1840s he's basically written out of mormon history oh now we add into this sydney rigdon also gained the status of postmaster in illinois which was a government contract which was basically the only place of stable income to to come in at the time because (laughs) It was a swampland before the Mormons got there. They had to drain the swampland of Commerce, Illinois, and hmm. uh, apply for a charter to the state to create commerce as what was known as Nauvoo, Illinois. Hmm. So there were no factories. There were no large-scale farming operations. There were no mercantile businesses. It was just a clean slate for the Mormons to work with. But they were already in tens of thousands of dollars of debt, so they were only just accruing more debt in order to create this. Yeah. So Joseph Smith became jealous of Sidney Rigdon's government job, and he <laughs> tried to take the office of Postmaster General away from Rigdon. Oh, but come on, guys. It didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> oh, good. Well, okay, take good. that, Joseph Smith. <laughs> But another point of contention between the two is Joseph Smith also propositioned Sidney Rigdon's daughter, Nancy Rigdon, at the age of 19 to become one of his polygamist wives. Oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That just, you, just, you just had to, like, throw that out there. Out of nowhere, it's just there. Yeah. yeah. Well, Don't at you the time, care she about our been... listeners? <laughs> <laughs> At that time, she would have made, like, wife number 20 or 22 of Joseph Smith. So Jesus! Sidney Rigdon, he knew what was going on. He knew Joseph had a number of affairs prior to this time. He knew what was going on. So Nancy Rigdon comes up to her dad, Sidney, and says, Hey, Joseph just propositioned me. What do I do? Sidney Rigdon and Joseph have a serious altercation, and their relationship is never the same from then on. Hmm. Wow. But... Well- Surprising. Somehow, they made amends. What? And in 1844, somehow, somehow this happened. In 1844, I don't know exactly the details of what happened here, but Sidney Rigdon 
originally came from Pennsylvania. He had spent a number of years as a resident of Pennsylvania. Joseph Smith sent Sidney Rigdon to Pennsylvania to reestablish his tenure there as a Pennsylvania citizen so that Joseph Smith could run for president of the United States with (laughs) Sidney Rigdon as vice president. Oh, 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 that's right. I forgot that Joseph Smith ran for president. We got to put him on an episode. Yes. (laughs) We should interview him. (laughs) Right, right. It'd be great. (laughs) Try and resurrect him from the dead. Channel Joseph Smith. Hey, tell us about your presidential campaign. So they run as POTUS and vice POTUS as, uh, you know, in this 1844 presidential campaign. And Joseph Smith is assassinated in July of 1844. Sorry. Sorry. June of 1844. Okay. He may be one of, I haven't been able to verify this, but according to the timelines I was able to find, Joseph Smith might be the actual first presidential candidate who was ever assassinated during their campaign. Oh. I haven't been able to debunk that claim and all of the timelines that I found when I find the first presidential candidate who was assassinated uh, according to the timelines I've seen, they started in 1876, I believe it was. Mm. And man, Joseph was 1844, he was assassinated. Yeah. So now (laughs) what happens with Sidney Rigdon is what I call the schism grenade because Joseph Smith didn't leave any lines behind any actual structure to determine who the next prophet would be because he wasn't expecting to be assassinated uh, yeah <laughs> as is like every assassination ever right yeah. uh, you could assassinate it. i was expecting this <laughs> <laughs> oh i knew it was my time right <laughs> abraham lincoln turns around in the the theater man i knew you were coming i knew it hello darkness my old friend <laughs> Booth was on Abraham's payroll. (laughs) (laughs) They went vampire hunting together. (laughs) Oh my god. Wow. Okay. Carry on. (laughs) And I I know I've been just going like crazy. I what what where do you guys want to go with this? Because I can seriously talk on this subject for fucking hours. So Sidney Rigdon, at the time of Joseph Smith's death, he has been ordained the prophet, seer, and revelator of the church, which he was basically co-prophet, seer, and revelator with Joseph Smith. He had been ordained president of the high council, president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Sorry, no, 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 that's not quite correct. Um, president of the presidency of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. He, he held basically co-ownership of the church with Joseph Smith. Not only that, he it was him and Joseph Smith who shared all of the debts of the church because they had done everything in their own name without incorporating the church. Everything hinged on Sidney Rigdon being the rightful successor. But Joseph Smith had also designated like another 10 people to be the rightful successor. And along comes a guy named James Strang who says, I have a letter written by Joseph Smith that says that I'm the rightful successor. And he ends up taking half of the Mormons up to Beaver Island and creating what's known as the Strangite Mormons. If you guys haven't done James Strang yet, do that guy. <laughs> we are. Oh my fuck, this guy is so amazing. Okay. Uh, oh. okay. Good. Strangites, quick diversion. You guys are going to have to edit this out. The Strangites are absolutely crazy. This guy, James Strang, he took the Mormon, or he took uh, like half of the Mormons up to Beaver Island with him. He created his own Mormon theocracy. They, uh, he was initially completely opposed to polygamy. Then he revealed what were known as the Vori plates, which were like his own version of the Book of Mormon. Uh, 
And he like created the Strangite sect, and there are still Strangites living today oh. that still follow James Strang because they think he was a rightful successor to Joseph Smith. Um, the Strangites basically they were pirates <laughs> on, on, from this Beaver Island. They went out like looting and pillaging when they ran out of supplies, just like the Mormons did. They just happened to have a ship that they stole to do it. Oh my um, god! <laughs> the Strangites during their religious practices, they would pour phosphorus in oil over their heads so that their heads would glow in the night. Oh, like, I, Wait. seriously, you guys have to do James yeah. Strang. Okay. It would be uh, so great. I'm going to send okay. you a message uh, about about that. <laughs> I, if you've got any research, like little stories like the phosphorus written down, I want them all. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, then maybe that'll be the next time we get together because, man, Strang is just delightful. Okay, anyway, back to Sydney Rigdon. Okay. okay. So this schism grenade goes off, right? Sidney Rigdon and Brigham Young fucking hate each other. Sure. And you can see the development of the next three months from June to August, or June to September, basically, where Sidney Rigdon and, and Brigham Young are fighting it out publicly in church periodicals of who is supposed to be the rightful successor. It's absolutely batshit. Eventually, what happened is Brigham Young claimed that the High Council, the Quorum of the 70s, and Joseph Smith as a president were basically all equal in authority. When the president, you know, the prophet of the church dies, his power devolves onto the, the other quorums until they elect a new president, kind of like the United States government is, yeah. is kind of structured. You have separate but equal powers, right? right. Yeah. So Brigham Young, as president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, basically steps up to the throne saying the Quorum of the Twelve, they have executive authority now until a new prophet is elected, which is, of course, going to be me because I'm the senior most <laughs> member. Sidney Rigdon says, hey, I was, you know, I was proclaimed and ordained as prophet, seer, and revelator. I was the co-prophet with Joseph Smith. I was a Mormon before Sydney, or before Brigham Young ever had a Book of Mormon in his hands in 1832. I am the rightful successor. So it finally comes to a head in it's either August or September of 1844. There's a massive meeting in Nauvoo that most almost all of the Mormons are in attendance of. They begin the day with Sidney Rigdon preaching up on a wagon, saying that he is the rightful successor. He gives his super powerful oration powers. The, the, uh, he extends them to the utmost of his ability, and he gains the approval and the vote of the majority of the Mormons at that time. Everybody is on Sidney Rigdon's side. Huh. They break for lunch. He gave, he gave the morning sermon. They break for lunch, and Brigham Young is tasked with a speech after lunch. Hmm. Brigham Young stands up on this pulpit and says, the rightful heir should be the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Oh. At this time, there was a person who was actually in, I believe who was in England, but he left behind an apocryphal account that details what's known as Brigham Young's Transfiguration, where he claims that Brigham Young's voice and face turned into that of Joseph Smith when he was preaching. And that is what convinced the majority of the people to side with Brigham Young instead of with Sidney Rigdon. Holy shit! Wow. And it's an apocryphal story, but it's known as the Transfiguration. And that is that is basically the single point that Brighamite Mormons point back to and say, that means that God ordained Brigham Young to be the rightful successor. 
Wow. It ends up the Nauvoo Charter, for which, you know, chartered Nauvoo as a separate state or town inside Illinois. It was revoked in 1845. The Brighamite Mormons and the majority of the Mormons are chased out of the state of Illinois. String takes the Mormons up to Wisconsin. Um, Brigham Young takes a chunk of the Mormons out to Utah. Sidney Rigdon at this time. Because Brigham Young gave such a powerful oration, he lost in the form of public debate. And he takes about 400 followers with him to be the leader of the the uh, Church of Jesus Christ of the Children of Zion. Okay. And he was president of that from 1845 till it was dissolved in 1847. Wow. And the rest of Sidney Rigdon's life is punctuated by small croppings up of these small religious Rigdonite movements in various areas in Pennsylvania, up in Canada, in New York. Hmm. And... He spends the rest of his life barely surviving on the scraps of these these followers who he continued to give revelations to that sound just like Joseph Smith's revelations, saying, give me your money, basically, because him and his wife, Phoebe, were extremely destitute from that time forward. Oh, wow. And he ended up dying in 1876 in, I believe it is Friendship, Pennsylvania. <laughs> Great oh, sorry, Friendship, New York. I'm sorry. Friendship, New York. Okay. Yep, wow. at the age of 83, with only maybe a, a couple hundred followers. Wow. And so so I'm assuming he died poor then, like Extremely. he never yep. came back. Okay. Uh, wow, that is, that's actually kind of sad, honestly, if I'm being... It is. Yeah. And beyond that, I, you know, like I say, the forgotten hero of Mormonism in that, you know, that was the central point of the Sunstone presentation because this guy, uh, the history of the church was compiled after Joseph Smith's death, essentially, in Utah by Brigham Young and his cousin, oh. Willard Richards. And they completely and systematically wrote Sidney Rigdon out of the history of the church. Sure. Wow. It's painful to see. Huh. It's it, Especially throughout the Nauvoo years. They just, every time he comes up, well, Sidney Rigdon gave a great oration. And then they move on to the next line item. Oh. It's... It's disgusting to see, actually. Wow. I, oh, man. That sucks. We Man, we run into yeah. that a lot, actually, when we talk about cults. People just vanish. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, we just recently did an episode on Trotsky, which was... Uh, it changed my view on the communist uprising in Russia completely, just examining uh, the difference between communism, Leninism, and Stalinism, and how they all behaved. It was fascinating stuff. A lot of crossover there. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting to see because basically with any empire that rises, you have kind of the the first ideas guy, right? The guy yeah. who's the dreamer mm-hmm. who leaves writings that are like, oh, so profound. And then you have his assistants who are actually on the business end who make that happen. And oh. so often it comes down to the business person at the end after the first dreamer dies or is removed – that business person, however fit for the job they are or are not, they tend to take over. You know, Stalin mm. is a great example with Lenin. I believe Lenin even said that Stalin should be the last person to take over uh, over the empire when he dies, and yet Stalin takes over, right? Yeah. Yep, that's yeah. exactly right. Yep. Oh, man. Well, thanks for sharing that story with us. That blew my mind. You were absolutely right. Hmm. Um, 
Let's uh here, no go ahead. I mean thank you guys for allowing a platform for me to talk about my favorite history, you know, my favorite person in Mormon history. This guy is just absolutely incredible and I you know, I appreciate the format of your show allowing to talk about just one person from birth to death and see their impact on kind of the larger scope of history. It's really fascinating. Well, thanks for talking to us, Bryce. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> cleanest phone connection ever <laughs> perfect <laughs> okay wow so this is great um thank I, you thank you <laughs> thank you very much no, thank um, you guys i had a lot of fun we should totally do this again yes um <laughs> agreed yeah, and absolutely. like i said i want to have you guys on for one of the uh, the monthly hangouts we might even i'm i'm trying to line up marches right now um with with another group of people who just finished reading the book of mormon for for uh, lampoon's sake that sounds awesome yeah i, I know i'll enjoy that yeah um awesome yeah, yeah same here i anytime that i can get on you know historians or fellow history junkies to talk about that or citizen historians as we are called often mm-hmm. yes um you know i i'm i love doing that just to chat history and and tease out some similarities we can find in mormonism across multiple you know Dif- disparate pieces of history. It's just mm. so much fun. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm nerding out constantly when we're writing for this show, so it's... <laughs> yeah, it's, you seem to get it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man, yeah. I got the history bug. I'm infected. I, I got bit, and here I am. Mm. So well, good. Don't go anywhere. Your podcast's great. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Likewise, I look forward to... Uh, I mean, I have to say that I, yeah, after listening to two episodes of your show, I'm already a fan, and I look forward to consuming the rest of your backlog. And I'm sincerely pleased that you don't have 150 episodes for me to chomp through. It's <laughs> it's really nice, actually, to, you know, to find a podcast that I'm still getting in at kind of like the early stages where there's a, you know short enough of a backlog. I can actually go back to episode one and start there. It's uh, ugly. <laughs> oh, no, and mine episode one, too, man. It's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I love it. Uh, the Boston Corbett was our first guy. Boston Corbett and John Wilkes John Booth. Wilkes Booth. Yeah. And, oh uh, yes. Okay. He that that episode's got pilot itis like crazy, but it's still fun. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, it's still fun. Uh, uh, yes, I love that. I'm going to use that term, pilot itis. <laughs> yes. Feel free oh, wow. to appropriate it, just as the Mormons appropriated the Gentiles things. <laughs> Thank you so much for calling. You have no idea how fucked we were just now. What a relief, seriously. (laughs) Well, thanks for talking to us, Bryce. Bye. Well, I think our show was just saved by Mormonism. Just as Mormonism saved us all by giving us Mitt Romney. Now I'm going back to bed. I was having a great dream. What are you going to do for the rest of the evening? Cook. Violently. Perf! <laughs> well, I think it's probably time to bring an end to the show for today. Feel free to send all your hate mail to We Talk About Dead People fa- uh, po- Facebook. Face what? We Talk About Dead People Podcast at gmail.com. We will read all of it and not along. If you hate us, you're probably right. If you like us, though, please consider funding the show by becoming a patron on patreon.com. That's patreon.com slash we talk about dead people. Even as little as a dollar, as much as it costs to do the right thing helps tremendously. Our cover art was created by the extremely gifted Ian Patterson of Ian Patterson Illustration. You can view more of his phenomenal work at www.ipattersonillustration.com. With all that said, we'll close out and let the sounds of Bryce talking to himself play you out. Joseph Smith could run for president of the United States with Sidney Rigdon as vice president. (laughs) And... Yeah, right, right. It'd be great. <laughs> Try and resurrect him from the dead. Channel Joseph Smith. Hey, tell us about your presidential campaign. <laughs> so, James. Yeah. Tell us. 
Did we get new patrons this week? Oh, oh, we did! Yes! Two of them! Wow! Yeah! That's amazing! We doubled our numbers! We now have four! Wow! Two Adams, a Reed, and a Sith Psychopath. Which is definitely his real name. Definitely his real yeah. name. Well, what do we have to say to these two kids? I have... N I, I would like to start, first of okay. all. Okay by saying thank you to the two Adams, the two noble yes. Adams who have brought us up from the bottom and... Can't think of the word! Who have glorified our show with their light and their money. Second, second of all, I would like to say thank you to Reed. I don't know who you are, but you're awesome. You gave us two bucks, so you get a sweet shout-out on the show. Yeah! And lastly, I would like to say thanks to Sith Psychopath for being an absolute psychopath, and probably a Sith as well. Okay. And for giving a us- A Sith Lord? <laughs> I'm accepting the money of a Sith. <laughs> okay, well, fair enough. Well, we're accepting the money. No, I'm keeping it all myself. <laughs> Only a Sith deals in absolutes. Um, so, those two dollars are absolutely guaranteed to us. Yes. 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 Um, he gets- Thanks. 